Well, it's good to be with you. <clears throat> I want you to open your Bibles uh, back up to Revelation chapter 2. I want to look at you at the second part of our, look with you at our, uh, the second part of our study that we began last evening. Um, again, uh, first chapter of uh, Revelation is an introductory chapter. And uh, what's taking place is John's trying to introduce to these seven churches the prophecy that's going to be given to them. And what's he's, what he's introduced in the first chapter, there's a few things that's really significant. The first aspect is that they have been called to partner with God in the ministry that he wants to accomplish in these areas, which is easy for all of us to see. I believe that God wants to do something overwhelmingly significant in the life of my kids and my wife, first and foremost, my context of life. And he's called me to partner with him in that. Blatant biblically, blatantly biblically, I can look up in the Bible and see my role as a husband and a father. He wants, to, he wants me to partner with him. In fact, he was cre- I was created for that very purpose. And we also learn from the first chapter is that I was uniquely called. I have a unique kind of an aspect. I have a, a unique place in that partnering. And my partnering is to hold up Jesus. I'm to wash my wife and my kids in Jesus. Every, every, every ministry that I have, not just professional full-time ministry, but every aspect of my life is washing my world in Jesus. And uh, so he's calling them to participate in that, these seven churches. Now, we began looking at, last night, the church at Ephesus. And just like every other church, there's a kind of a, um, a structure to each address. And the structure is, Jesus is presented to each church as the answer for their situation. It's how he wants to minister in their context. Of course, the, the answer is Jesus. How he wants to minister or how he wants the church to minister is to push Jesus on their world. So Jesus is presented to each of the, each of the seven churches' context of life. Jesus is presented to that context and he wants to bring about a certain reward and result. But there's a condition that needs to take place. And the condition as we looked at last night is that the church is called to have an ear to hear. And what I proposed to you last night is that that's not a physical ear that physically hears. It is a spiritual ear that spiritually hears. Meaning that I recognize that God wants to move in my world. That Jesus wants to be dumped into my context. And he wants to bring about a result and reward. And in order for that result and reward to take place, I need to have the spiritual ear that allows him to bring about that that, that result and that reward. Jesus, moving in my context, I have the spiritual posture that he can bring about the result or reward. With me so far? That's what we looked at last night. Now, I want to share with you this, uh, the second part of this. And that just came about by uh, just kind of uh, accident, I guess. And, of course, I don't know if you want to call Revelation accident. But as I begin to walk through these seven churches, I begin to find that the ear to have and hear, the, the, the ear that hears is in every single address. Every single address at the end of that address, before the result of releasing Jesus in the context is given, okay, before that result or reward is given, you have to have an ear that hears. In fact, my translation says, to him who has an ear, he had better hear. He had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the result or the reward for Ephesus. In other words, God wants to do just an overwhelmingly significant thing in Ephesus. And he wants to release himself in that context. Jesus wants to pour himself in that context. And the reward that he wants to bring about is given, the result reward that uh, that is given to us, is given to us in verse 7. And this is how it reads in my translation. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. So the reward of releasing Jesus into my context is that I'm going to get to eat, Ephesus that is, I'm going to get to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's the reward for this church. Now, as I begin to go through, uh, begin to go through the seven churches, I thought that not that I'm knocking this reward, but there are certain rewards that uh, maybe I would rather have that are given to the seven churches than this one. Uh, for instance, I've been—I can't wait till we get to 
to get to this, I can deal with this one. It's the church in Pergamum. I mean, their, their reward is really elaborate. I mean, they're going to get some hidden manna. They're going to get a white stone uh, that has uh, their name written on it, which no one can understand but themselves. I mean, it's really elaborate. It's really, really unique and personal. And, and I thought that was a really neat deal. And, man, wouldn't it be neat to, be that, to receive that award uh, and that reward and result that Pergamum will receive when they dump Jesus in their context of life? And I thought that was really neat. And But see, when I come into Ephesus, it's just that they get to eat of the tree of life. And I'm not knocking eating the tree of life, but my first, my first response was, wow, if I release Jesus in my context, I get apples. Praise the Lord. I could have an apple. Teens thought that was much more funny. But uh, that, that's the reward. I get to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And I just, I mean, not that I'm knocking that, but I thought, that's kind of a strange reward. And so I began to just kind of, you know, just play around in verse 7 and, and look at the grammar and make sure I wasn't missing anything. And, and I noticed something in verse 7 that turned out to be extremely significant, okay? Extremely significant. When I, worked, when I was in college, I took Greek. And there are certain Greek words that you use and you find pretty consistently in Scripture that you're just not going to forget, uh, the words for love, two major words for love that are used consistently in the scripture. Uh, one is the Greek term agape. Probably you've heard of that if you've been around the church any amount of time. It's a Greek word for love. Another one is phileo. Phileo, which is another Greek term for love. And also, uh, and which the root word of that is friend, which is phile. There's the Greek word for word, which is, I thought you might know that, logos. Logos. Some pronounce it logos, but it's actually logos. The, the O is, is awe. Okay. Up, north. <laughs> yeah, up north, it's a up north thing. Uh, logos. So there's all these kinds of words that I just picked up, and kaya is and, and, and usia is spirit, and, and our house, they get really close. And so I got all of these words that I picked up that I, that I remembered in, in Greek class in college. And when I was going through this, there was a word that I learned in college that was a Greek word for tree. It was one of my vocabs, and uh, it was a Greek word, doulon. The guy's walking down the street, he's got his little boy with him, and if he's like my little boy, he wants to go and climb up the tree, the little boy would look and say, Dad, Dulon. Okay? And the dad would say, no, we're on our way down the road, leave the Dulon alone. Uh, Dulon is the word for tree, Greek word for tree. And as I begin to go through verse 7, I found that, <laughs> this is so neat, the, the Greek word there that we translate tree, it's not Dulon. It's not the normal word for tree. I thought that was really interesting. The word that's present here, and we normally write this on the board, the word that's present here, now again, trying to describe the reward for Ephesus, releasing Jesus in their context of life, maintaining the posture of, I desperately want you to do something that I cannot do. Move in our town, move in our city, bring about a result and a reward. And that result and reward, both in my life and for our community, is that they get to partake of, not the doulon of life, but they get to partake of the skulon of life which is a different word. And I thought, that's kind of interesting. In Revelation, we translate that, and in about every translation, we translate that word tree. In fact, I would propose that there's not, I've never found a translation in some of the 50 translations we have on our computer. All of them translate it tree. Does anybody have a different translation? Take that as a no. Okay, skulon, we always translate that tree. But I was interested on why that word was used and what was the definition of it. Because when I looked in the lexicon, the definition of skulon is wood. Just wood. I thought, you know, what's he talking about? And I'm a big fan of J.R. Tolkien's writings, some of C.S. Lewis's as well. But they talk about how uh, they refer to the forest at times as wood. You know, they walked into the wood, okay? And they, they'll write like that. And I thought, well, that's, that's probably what he's talking about. But I took this Greek word, skulon, and I looked it up throughout the New Testament. And I was pretty shocked at what I found. I want to share it with you. Let me give you a couple of them. For instance, I found this. Turn in your Bibles with me. You're going to want to see this. I found this in Matthew chapter 26, which is an extraordinary chapter, an extraordinary scene. Matthew chapter 26, and it's toward the end of the chapter. But, uh, of course, what you have going on here is uh, the prayer in, Geth uh, in Gethsemane. 
and Jesus is there and he's trying to keep the disciples awake and, and in the last hours of his life he doesn't want to be alone in this and he calls the church to pray along with him. I think that's really significant. Probably some remarkable material in there. But nonetheless, um, he's talking to them about, uh, uh, about praying with him and to keep awake and he's going back and he's, he's, he's really, really concerned about this whole deal and talking to the Father about it. And he comes down into verse 47 where our word appears. This is so neat. Listen to this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and skulon, clubs. <laughs> what in the world? What, what does that mean? See, if I release Ephesus, if I release their thinking, if I release Jesus into my context of life, because he has got, God has got something that he wants to do absolutely extraordinarily, extraordinarily, is that a word? Overwhelmingly wonderful in my context of life. And if I release him to my context of life and maintain the posture of walking moment by moment in expectancy of God to move, and I'm available for that moving, he's going to bring about a reward and a result. And what's that result, reward or result? He wants to bring the club of life. You're not impressed either. I, would, I was like, what does that mean? Does Jesus bring the club of life in my home? I've wanted a club from time to time. But see, what, what does that mean? Is Jesus standing there with a billy club looking at you? Wouldn't that be just the club of life? I thought, what in the world? See, how does that work? One example of this word. Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 16, and I know you know this scene. Paul and his friend and uh, protege, Acts chapter 16, and what's his name? Silas, are traveling and preaching together, and Barnabas is headed the other direction and taking Mark. And Paul and Silas are ministering in the area. Uh, of course, there's a ministry where a young girl is relieved from a, uh, a demonic spirit and, and told, he just moves it. Paul just, he's the vessel by which Jesus moves in her life and, and relieves her from the domination and exploitation of men. And it's just a wonderful scene. And, and the result of that, again, again, see, Jesus invades Paul's context. Paul is just walking, and, and, and again, I think it's really significant in this passage that Paul has walked for days, he hasn't acted out of the flesh, and none of that, but God moves on that scene and uses Saul, invades his context, and brings about a result or reward. And I'm thinking, ooh, the result is the freedom of this, of this woman, that God moves through his life and brings freedom in the life of a young woman, and she's no longer exploited, and she's free from demonic control. What's his reward? You say, what's his reward? Look down with me at verse 24. And in verse 24, after they have been flogged and beaten and put in the inner cell, verse 24 says the jailer received such orders. He threw them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in Skulon, the stocks of life. Don't look at me. I didn't make this up. This is the word. We go from billy club to stocks. Paul and Silas are living, are the very instruments of Jesus as he's pouring himself into their context. And they're walking in the expectation and ministry of what he's going to do. And they bring about a result that moves Jesus into their world. And what's their reward for that? Stocks. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to be Ephesus. <laughs> I think I'll take the white stone and some of the hidden manna. Loosen up. That's funny stuff. You can giggle a little bit. No one's going to be upset. That's just... Stocks, that's the reward. And we know the result is Jesus comes bursting on the scene and brings victory and wonder. And not to mention what Jesus does after this in this, in this in this cell where the earthquake happens and no one runs. Everyone's sitting there in awe. And, but the reward is, is stocks. I really struggled with that. I thought, why? That word is, why would they stick that word in the center of the garden? See, if you go back... And the tree of life, obviously, is a very uh, familiar piece of imagery to the Jewish people. I mean, you go back to the law, the first book of the law, the book of Genesis, there were two trees that, were, that really uh, drew attention to, that were in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And I just, I just, I never pictured the tree of life with this kind of concept 
attached to it. Let me give you another one. And these two go back to back. Turn just a few pages back to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to go back a little bit further because it says it again in Acts chapter 5. But Peter is trying to describe uh, to his, in his context the ministry of Jesus. And beginning in verse 30, uh, verse 36, he says, You know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism John announced with the respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses, listen to this, we are witnesses of all the things he did in Judea and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a... Skulon. Acts chapter 10. Flip back a few pages to Acts chapter 5. I'm trying to walk you through my study here a little bit that what Jesus did to me through this whole thing. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Again, when they had brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned. Now again, this is in the this is in the temple before the high priest. This is incredible. It says, We gave you strict orders not to teach. Uh, in this name, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you seized and killed by hanging on a skulon. <laughs> this is so neat. See, what's going on is he's trying to describe to the church at Ephesus, Jesus. He's trying to describe, first off, the kind of life, the kind of life that he's call, calling them to. Jesus wants to be released into their context. They're to live in the posture of expectancy that I'm not going to live one moment of my day outside of the posture of I need a divine movement of God in this hour. And I want you to bring about your result in my context. I cannot bring that about. No amount of flesh, no amount of discipline, no amount of practice, no amount of intelligence, no amount of education, no amount of experience can bring about what you have to experience. So I'm living in the posture. You're going to bring about what you want to desire in my context of life and you and you alone in me in the posture you can bring about your reward and result there's a result of releasing you in my context and there's a reward for me and the reward is i get to participate in the very life that jesus lived i get to participate in the kind of life that jesus participated in hear that We can participate. The result of allowing Jesus into our context, the result of that is that we participate in the kind of life that Jesus himself participated in. I found it interesting that, again, when he's talking about the tree of life, he's trying to describe the kind of life that we partake of out of the tree, and it's the same life that was in the... That's the kind of life that he's talking about. And when you go back and you look at the cross, what I found was interesting is the cross is referred to from time to time as an event, but most of the time out of the mouth of Jesus, it's not talked about as an event, but it's talked about as a style of life that he's calling us to live by. And you don't have to turn here to these if you don't want to, but if you look at Matthew chapter 10... Verse 38, Jesus is describing, and he does this again down in uh, Matthew chapter 16, where he's sending out the, uh, I think it's the 12 in this one, in Matthew chapter 16. Is that what it is? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Oh, no, he sends out in in chapter uh, 10 is the sending out. Is that right? I believe that's it. Or Luke. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, he talks about the characteristic of his ministry. Given the characteristic of his ministry, he talks about the cross as the kind of life that he lives and he's calling us to. Verse 38, he says, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
For whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And again, in in chapter uh, 16, verse 24, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, the result, think about this. This is, I can't tell you what this did to me in my life. The result of releasing Jesus in my context of life is that literally I can no longer live for myself, that I give up the rights of my life. I literally surrender, and he brings the kind of life that he lived in. He brings that very life in my context of life. I need an example of this. Uh, again, I use my family because I just I want to be the kind of father that he wants me to be. And I, I do. I want Jesus in my context of life in that motorhome. Uh, Dan came by today. And uh, knocked on the door, and CJ, we're trying to deal with this, because whoever knocks on the door, he's like, come on in. <laughs> so we try to wear clothing. But uh, you know, CJ's like, come on in. So Dan's head pops up, and I'm like, oh, come on in, Dan. Hey, we can take you. And so he comes on in, sits on the couch, and he says, what are you doing? And, and I think, actually, you came over even earlier than that, and it was CJ and, and uh, Daddy time. And I, my dad used to spend time with me when I was a kid, but it was spending time doing what my dad wanted to do, which was mowing the lawn. <laughs> and ooh, fun, you know. And, and what I try to do in dad and CJ time and, and to juggle this in the midst of camp meeting summer when you're preaching two and three times a day and having all this, I make time for my kids. But one of the things I've been doing CJ is that we have daddy and son time where I'll take him out and do some things that I want to do with him and we'll make it fun. But there are times when I say, okay, son, what do you want to do? And literally, for me, a part of releasing Jesus in my context of life is getting in the midst of my son's life and saying, what do you want to do? Well, I want to play this game. And I can't stand we. <laughs> I'm just, I'd, I'd, just, I'd sell that thing in a heartbeat. But he likes it. See, he likes doing that kind of thing. And we'll play Mario Kart. And he's terrible. He's terrible at Mario Kart. I mean, he's four and a half. So he's last placed every time. So what I do is I, I, he's 12th and I'm 11th. And if I can swing it, I'm 11th and he's 12th. And I drive my little guy right. See, I'm not trying to win. See, I'm just, I'm emptying my rights as a father. I'm, I, I'm not doing what I want to do, but I'm getting involved on his level in what he wants to do. And somehow what I found is in that kind of dynamic, there are divine opportunities that surface where God comes on the scene and just, whoa. And most of the time, and you think I'm ridiculous talking to you about this, but most of the time, Bowser, are you familiar with we? I'll take that as a no. Bowser is one of the characters, and he's mean, and he comes through and knocks him over and all this, and CJ goes, oh, I can't stand Bowser. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't think he acts like Jesus. He doesn't act like Jesus. And so we get back into the game, and, and I experience that with, hey, I don't care if you're into it. He loves it. And I get to spend valuable, intimate it's the same kind of thing on, on, on with my wife. It's just to stand in the middle of my relationship with my wife and not have to win every argument. Not have to win any argument. I, I, I do. I lose the right to have to be right. I, I, as the head of... Well, it's good to be with you. <clears throat> I want you to open your Bibles uh, back up to Revelation chapter 2. I want to look at you at the second part of our... Look with you at our, the second part of our study that we began last evening. Um, again, uh, first chapter of uh, Revelation is an introductory chapter. And uh, what's taking place is John's trying to introduce to these seven churches the prophecy that's going to be given to them. And what's he's, what he's introduced in the first chapter, there's a few things that's really significant. The first aspect is that they have been called to partner with God in the ministry that he wants to accomplish in these areas, which is easy for all of us to see. I believe that God wants to do something overwhelmingly significant in the life of my kids and my wife, first and foremost, my context of life. And he's called me to partner with him in that, blatant biblically, 
blatantly biblically, I can look up in the Bible and see my role as a husband and a father. He wants, to, he wants me to partner with him. In fact, he was cre- I was created for that very purpose. And we also learn from the first chapter is that I was uniquely called. I have a unique kind of an aspect. I have a, a unique place in that partnering. And my partnering is to hold up Jesus. I'm to wash my wife and my kids in Jesus. Every, every, every ministry that I have, not just professional full-time ministry, but every aspect of my life is washing my world in Jesus. And uh, so he's calling them to participate in that, these seven churches. Now, we began looking at, last night, the church at Ephesus. And just like every other church, there's a kind of a, um, a structure to each address. And the structure is, Jesus is presented to each church as the answer for their situation. It's how he wants to minister in their context. Of course, the, the answer is Jesus. How he wants to minister or how he wants the church to minister is to push Jesus on their world. So Jesus is presented to each of the, each of the seven churches' context of life. Jesus is presented to that context and he wants to bring about a certain reward and result. But there's a condition that needs to take place. And the condition as we looked at last night is that the church is called to have an ear to hear. And what I proposed to you last night is that that's not a physical ear that physically hears. It is a spiritual ear that spiritually hears. Meaning that I recognize that God wants to move in my world. That Jesus wants to be dumped into my context. And he wants to bring about a result and reward. And in order for that result and reward to take place, I need to have the spiritual ear that allows him to bring about that that, that result and that reward. Jesus, moving in my context, I have the spiritual posture that he can bring about the result or reward. With me so far? That's what we looked at last night. Now, I want to share with you this, uh, the second part of this. And that just came about by uh, just kind of uh, accident, I guess. And, of course, I don't know if you want to call Revelation accident. But as I begin to walk through these seven churches, I begin to find that the ear to have and hear, the, the, the ear that hears is in every single address. Every single address at the end of that address, before the result of releasing Jesus in the context is given, okay, before that result or reward is given, you have to have an ear that hears. In fact, my translation says, to him who has an ear, he had better hear. He had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the result or the reward for Ephesus. In other words, God wants to do just an overwhelmingly significant thing in Ephesus. And he wants to release himself in that context. Jesus wants to pour himself in that context. And the reward that he wants to bring about is given, the result reward that uh, that is given to us, is given to us in verse 7. And this is how it reads in my translation. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. So the reward of releasing Jesus into my context is that I'm going to get to eat, Ephesus that is, I'm going to get to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's the reward for this church. Now, as I begin to go through, uh, begin to go through the seven churches, I thought that not that I'm knocking this reward, but there are certain rewards that uh, maybe I would rather have that are given to the seven churches than this one. Uh, for instance, I've been. I can't wait till we get to to get to this. I can deal with this one. It's the church in Pergamum. I mean, their their reward is really elaborate. I mean, they're going to get some hidden manna. They're going to get a white stone uh, that has uh, their name written on it, which no one can understand but themselves. It's really elaborate. It's really, really unique and personal. And and I thought that was a really neat deal. And man, wouldn't it be neat to be that to receive that award uh, and that reward and result that Pergamum will receive when they dump Jesus in their context of life? And I thought that was really neat. And but see, when I come into Ephesus, it's just that they get to eat of the tree of life. And I'm not knocking eating the tree of life, but my first my first response was, "Wow! If I release Jesus in my context, I get apples. Praise the Lord! I get to have an apple." Teens thought that was much more funny, but uh, that that's the reward. I get to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. 
And I just, I mean, not that I'm knocking that, but I thought that's kind of a strange reward. And so I began to just kind of, you know, just play around in verse 7 and, and look at the grammar and make sure I wasn't missing anything. And, and I noticed something in verse 7 that turned out to be extremely significant, okay? Extremely significant. When I, were, when I was in college, I took Greek. And there are certain Greek words that you use and you find pretty consistently in Scripture that you're just not going to forget. Uh, the words for love, two major words for love that are used consistently in the Scripture. Uh, one is the Greek term... Agape, probably you've heard of that if you've been around the church any amount of time. It's a Greek word for love. Another one is phileo, phileo, which is another Greek term for love. And also, uh, and which the root word of that is friend, which is phile. There's the Greek word for word, which is, I thought you might know that, logos, logos. Some pronounce it logos, but it's actually logos. The, the O is, is ah, okay. Up north. <laughs> Yeah, up north, it's a up north thing. Uh, logos. So there's all these kinds of words that I just picked up, and kaya is and, and, and usia is spirit, and, and our house, they get really close. And so I got all of these words that I picked up that I, that I remembered in, in Greek class in college. And when I was going through this, there was a word that I learned in college that was a Greek word for tree. It was one of my vocabs, and uh, it was a Greek word, doulon. The guy's walking down the street, he's got his little boy with him, and if he's like my little boy, he wants to go and climb up the tree, the little boy would look and say, Dad, Dulon. Okay? And the dad would say, no, we're on our way down the road, leave the Dulon alone. Uh, Dulon is the word for tree, Greek word for tree. And as I begin to go through verse 7, I found that, <laughs> this is so neat, the, the Greek word there that we translate tree, it's not Dulon. It's not the normal word for tree. I thought that was really interesting. The word that's present here, and we normally write this on the board, the word that's present here, now again, trying to describe the reward for Ephesus, releasing Jesus in their context of life, maintaining the posture of, I desperately want you to do something that I cannot do. Move in our town, move in our city, bring about a result and a reward. And that result and reward, both in my life and for our community, is that they get to partake of, not the doulon of life, but they get to partake of the skulon of life which is a different word. I thought, that's kind of interesting. In Revelation, we translate that, and in about every translation, we translate that word tree. In fact, I would propose that there's not, I've never found a translation in some of the 50 translations we have on our computer. All of them translate it tree. Does anybody have a different translation? Take that as a no. Okay, skulon, we always translate that tree. But I was interested on why that word was used and what was the de definition of it. Because when I looked in the lexicon, the definition of skulon is wood. Just wood. I thought, you know, what's he talking about? And I'm a big fan of J.R. Tolkien's writings, some of uh, C.S. Lewis's as well. But they talk about how uh, they refer to the forest at times as wood. You know, they walked into the wood, Okay. And they, they'll write like that. And I thought, well, that's, that's probably what he's talking about. But I took this Greek word, skulon, and I looked it up throughout the New Testament. And I was pretty shocked at what I found. I want to share it with you. Let me give you a couple of them. For instance, I found this. Turn in your Bibles with me. You're going to want to see this. I found this in Matthew chapter 26, which is an extraordinary chapter, an extraordinary scene. Matthew chapter 26, and it's toward the end of the chapter. But, uh, of course, what you have going on here is uh, the prayer in, Geth uh, in Gethsemane. And Jesus is there, and he's trying to keep the disciples awake. And, and in the last hours of his life, he doesn't want to be alone in this. And he calls the church to pray along with him. I think that's really significant. Probably some remarkable material in there. But nonetheless, um, he's talking to them about... Uh, uh, praying with him and to keep awake and he's going back and he's, he's, he's really, really concerned about this whole deal and talking to the Father about it. And he comes down into verse 47 where our word appears. This is so neat. Listen to this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and skulon. Clubs. <laughs> what in the world? What, what does that mean? See, if I release Ephesus, if I release their thinking, if I release Jesus into my context of life, because he has got, God has got something that he wants to do absolutely extraordinarily 
extraordinarily, is that a word? Overwhelmingly wonderful in my context of life. And if I release him to my context of life and maintain the posture of walking moment by moment in expectancy of God to move, and I'm available for that moving, he's going to bring about a reward and a result. And what's that reward or result? He wants to bring the club of life. You're not impressed either. I I was like, what does that mean? Does Jesus bring the club of life in my home? I've wanted a club from time to time. But see, what, what does that mean? Is Jesus standing there with a billy club looking at you? Wouldn't that be just the club of life? I thought, what in the world? See, how does that work? One example of this word. Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 16. And I know you know this scene. Paul and his friend and uh, protege, Acts chapter 16. And what's his name? Silas traveling and preaching together and Barnabas is headed the other direction and taking Mark and Paul and Silas are ministering in the area. Uh, of course, there's a ministry where a young girl is relieved from a, uh, a demonic spirit and, and told, he just moves it. Paul just, he's the vessel by which Jesus moves in her life and, and relieves her from the domination and exploitation of men and it's just a wonderful scene. And, and the result of that, again, again see Jesus invades Paul's context. Paul is just walking. And, 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 and again, I think it's really significant in this passage that Paul has walked for days. He hasn't acted out of the flesh and none of that. But God moves on that scene and uses Saul, invades his context, and brings about a result or reward. And I'm thinking, ooh, the result is the freedom of this, of this woman, that God moves through his life and brings freedom in the life of a young woman. And she's no longer exploited and she's free from demonic control. What's his reward? You say, what's his reward? Look down with me at verse 24. And in verse 24, after they have been flogged and beaten and put in the inner cell, verse 24 says the jailer received such orders. He threw them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in Skulon, the stocks of life. Don't look at me. I didn't make this up. This is the word. We go from billy club to stocks. Paul and Silas are living, are the very instruments of Jesus as he's pouring himself into their context. And they're walking in the expectation and ministry of what he's going to do. And they bring about a result that moves Jesus into their world. And what's their reward for that? Stocks. I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to be Ephesus. (laughs) I think I'll take the white stone and some of the hidden manna. Loosen up. That's funny stuff. You can giggle a little bit. No one's going to be upset. That's just stocks. That's the reward. And we know the result is Jesus comes bursting on the scene and brings victory and wonder. And not to mention what Jesus does after this in this, in this, in this cell where the earthquake happens and no one runs. Everyone's sitting there in awe. And, but the reward is, is stocks. I really struggled with that. I thought, why? That word is, why would they stick that word In the center of the garden. See, if you go back, and the tree of life obviously is a very uh, familiar piece of imagery to the Jewish people. I mean, you go back to the law, the first book of the law, the book of Genesis, there were two trees that were, that really uh, drew attention to, that were in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And I just, I just, I never pictured the tree of life with this kind of concept attached to it. Let me give you another one. And these two go back to back. Turn just a few pages back to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to go back a little bit further because it says it again in Acts chapter 5. But Peter is trying to describe uh, to his, in his context the ministry of Jesus. And beginning in verse 30. Uh, verse 36, she says, You know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened through, throughout Judea beginning with Galilee after the baptism John announced with the respect to Jesus from Nazareth that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses. Listen to this. We are witnesses of all the things he did in Judea and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a... Skulan. 
Acts chapter 10. Flip back a few pages to Acts chapter 5. Trying to walk you through my study here a little bit, that what Jesus did to me through this whole thing. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Again, when they had brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned. Now again, this is in the, this is in the temple before the high priest. This is incredible. It says, we gave you strict orders not to teach uh, in this name, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you seized and killed by hanging on a scutlon. <laughs> this is so neat. See, what's going on is he's trying to describe to the church at Ephesus, Jesus. He's trying to describe, first off, the kind of life, the kind of life that he's call, calling them to. Jesus wants to be released into their context. They're to live in the posture of expectancy that I'm not going to live one moment of my day outside of the posture of I need a divine movement of God in this hour. And I want you to bring about your result in my context. I cannot bring that about. No amount of flesh, no amount of discipline, no amount of practice, no amount of intelligence, no amount of education, no amount of experience can bring about what you have to experience. So I'm living in the posture. You're going to bring about what you want to desire in my context of life and you and you alone in me in the posture, you can bring about your reward and result. There's a result of releasing you in my context and there's a reward for me. And the reward is I get to participate in the very life that Jesus lived. I get to participate in the kind of life that Jesus participated in. Hear that. We can participate. The result of allowing Jesus into our context, the result of that is that we participate in the kind of life that Jesus himself participated in. I found it interesting that, again, when he's talking about the tree of life, he's trying to describe the kind of life that we partake of out of the tree, and it's the same life that was in the... That's the kind of life that he's talking about. And when you go back and you look at the cross, what I found was interesting is the cross is referred to from time to time as an event, but most of the time out of the mouth of Jesus, it's not talked about as an event, but it's talked about as a style of life that he's calling us to live by. And you don't have to turn here to these if you don't want to, but if you look at Matthew chapter 10... Verse 38, Jesus is describing, and he does this again down in uh, Matthew chapter 16, where he, he's sending out the, uh, I think it's the 12 in this one, in Matthew chapter 16. Is that what it is? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Oh, no, he sends out in, in chapter uh, 10 is the sending out. Is that right? I believe that's it. Or Luke. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, he talks about the characteristic of his ministry. Given the characteristic of his ministry, he talks about the cross as the kind of life that he lives and he's calling us to. Verse 38, he says, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And again, in, in chapter uh, 16, verse 24, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, the result, think about this. This is, I can't tell you what this did to me in my life. The result of releasing Jesus in my context of life is that literally I can no longer live for myself. That I give up the rights of my life. I literally surrender. And he brings the kind of life that he lived in. He brings that very life in my context of life. I need an example of this. Uh, again, I use my family because I just, I want to be the kind of father that he wants me to be. And I, I do. I want Jesus in my context of life in that motorhome. Uh, Dan came by today. 
and uh, knocked on the door. And CJ, we're trying to deal with this because whoever knocks on the door, he's like, come on in. <laughs> so we try to wear clothing. But uh, you know, CJ's like, come on in. So Dan's head pops up and I'm like, oh, come on in, Dan. Hey, we can take you. And so he comes on in, sits on the couch and he says, what are you doing? And, and I think actually you came over even earlier than that. And it was CJ and, and uh, daddy time. And I, my dad used to spend time with me when I was a kid. But it was spending time doing what my dad wanted to do, which was mowing the lawn. <laughs> and ooh, fun, you know. And, and what I try to do in dad and CJ time, and, and to juggle this in the midst of camp meeting summer, when you're preaching two and three times a day and having all this, I make time for my kids. But one of the things I've been doing CJ is that we have daddy and son time where I'll take him out and do some things that I want to do with him and we'll make it fun. But there are times when I say, okay, son, what do you want to do? And literally, for me, a part of releasing Jesus in my context of life is getting in the midst of my son's life and saying, what do you want to do? Well, I want to play this game. And I can't stand we. <laughs> I'm just, I'd, I'd, just, I'd sell that thing in a heartbeat, but he likes it. So he likes doing that kind of thing. And we'll play Mario Kart. And he's terrible. He's terrible at Mario Kart. I mean, he's four and a half, so he's last placed every time. So what I do is I, I, he's 12th and I'm 11th. And if I can swing it, I'm 11th and he's 12th. And I drive my little guy right. See, I'm not trying to win. See, I'm just, I'm emptying my rights as a father. I'm, I, I'm not doing what I want to do, but I'm getting involved on his level in what he wants to do. And somehow what I found is in that kind of dynamic, there are divine opportunities that surface where God comes on the scene and just whoom. And most of the time, and you think I'm ridiculous talking to you about this, but most of the time, Bowser, are you familiar with we? I'll take that as a no. Bowser is one of the characters, and he's mean, and he comes through and knocks him over and all this, and CJ goes, oh, I can't stand Bowser. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't think he acts like Jesus. He doesn't act like Jesus. And so we get back into the game, and, and I experience that with, hey, I don't care if you're into it. He loves it. And I get to spend valuable, intimate it's the same kind of thing on, on, on with my wife. It's just to stand in the middle of my relationship with my wife and not have to win every argument. Not have to win any argument. I, I, I do. I lose the right to have to be right. I, I, as the head of my household, as the biblical head of my household, which has nothing to do with control and that kind of a deal, it has everything to do with I'm the first to say that I'm sorry. I'm the first to demonstrate what Jesus looks like. I'm the first to throw away my rights. I'm the first not to get my way. I want Jesus to move in my context. And what does that look like? See, I want, I, I want to look like Jesus on the, on the highways of my life. And what does that look like? I'm the first to say, hey, I don't have to. I'm the first not to respond in, in a negative kind of worldly. That Jesus wants to be released into my context of life. And when I maintain that posture, Jesus being unfolded in my world and him having his way, the life that I've been called to embrace is literally the cross. It's a style of life that I've been, that I've been called to embrace and, and called to live. Now, what's really significant is that when you get in the book of Revelation, and without dragging you through the entire book, this tree of life appears a couple different times in the book of Revelation. Again, it's in the paradise of God. It has not, it has not went away. And that is the style of life in the kingdom, which again is a selfless life. The whole problem with sin, and again, we were cut off from the tree of life by the action that Adam and Eve made, is that life for Adam and Eve became a sinful life. It became a self-centered life. It became a self-absorbed life. It became a life that was, that was bent on what I wanted to do and, and not releasing God into my context, but me doing what according to my kind of design and and it was, a, it was a rejection of that. And sin was born and man lived in sin. But in the garden, we again have access to, we have been granted to partake of the kind of life that Jesus partook in. Now, what I found, this changed the way that I look, for instance, at heaven. Because when we get to heaven, one of the things that's, that's consistent is that we're not going to lose free will in heaven. We're not going to become robots. And... By the way, love is only possible within the boundaries of free will, which leads you to believe that the possibility for sin is even possible in eternity because I have free will. I have free will not to love if I don't want to love. 
Now, I said that at a camp meeting some time ago, and from the crowd, one of the ladies goes, <gasps> because of the mere possibility. I want to get to heaven and never have the possibility of sinning. Well, that's not love. That's not relationship. But see, I'm convinced that when you, when you enter into the only kind of life that is called in Christ, the kind of life that he lived, which is the selfless life, there is no possibility of sin in that kind of life. In other words, he describes it in our passage that this tree of life is in the paradise of God. This life here, this life we partake of is literally associated with paradise. So paradise is not defined as I go to heaven and I get a big, we talked about this earlier, I go to heaven and I get a big mansion in the sky and uh, wow, I'm, I'm going to be muscular and tall and I can eat all the chocolate I want and not get fat and I'm going to have servants and my wife's going to do what she's told from now on and uh, I got all of this and my kids are going to be perfect and I'm going to be, I'm going to be this just, you know, it's going to be and I'm going to, see all of that just for me, it always kind of smelled really selfish in fact, we had songs about laying our crosses down and, and, and no more dying to ourselves and no more servanthood. And we get to heaven and it's a big shuffleboard retirement community in the sky. It's going to be out fantastic. That's not the biblical view that is presented to us in the book of Revelation. The biblical view that's presented to us in the book of Revelation is that a life of surrender and a life of, of, of absolutely selflessness it's, it's the whole kingdom is wrapped up in, in, in this life that is not centered in on what I want, but it's on what he wants. And it's this non-selfish kind of... So I want to ask you, and I asked the teens this this morning, because we ran over this study uh, since they were not going to be here in the 2.30 session. We looked at it this morning, we looked at it here. Do you really want Jesus to move in your context of life. Because the result of releasing Jesus in your context of life is literally saying, hey, um, you can do what you want. That I don't, it doesn't have to go my way. We, we talk to teens every single camp. And one of the teens, again, I mentioned this last night in passing, but one of the teens we talked talk to this summer was so bothered but the fact that they were born in a home of abuse and, and dad was abusive to mom and it's really a rough environment and they're poor and, and they were just so upset. And, and I told them, I said, Would, I said, wouldn't it be something to just realize that God has placed you where you are for a reason? And he wants to move. He wants to move in your context of life. And would you be willing to stand wherever he has put you and say, I give you permission. It's, it's not where I would choose to be. It's not the most comfortable position in the world. But I'll, I release. I, I live in the posture. And I release you authority to do whatever you have to do in my life. To bring about what you want to bring about in this kind of context. That's the kingdom, I believe. See, anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus takes up their cross, denies themselves, and enters into the ministry. Where God moves in their context and moves at whatever cost that they have to. And whatever has to take place. In fact, when you go to the next church, Smyrna, which is really interesting. We're entering into that study right now. Smyrna is put in a location where Jesus even tells them, you are going to suffer persecution of several different kinds. In fact, some of you are going to be put in prison and others of you are going to be killed. Are you going to embrace and allow me to move in your context? And there is a result reward. You're going to, you may, some of you will die, but you won't be hurt at all by the second death. See, what if Jesus moving in the life of my wife and my kids, personal Jeremiah time outside of the pulpit deal, just my own life of just my family, those that I live with every day, what if the, what if the cost of letting Jesus move in my life, in my context of life, was that I had to die to myself and give up my rights and lay down my life? And that was the reward that would release what he's doing in my community, in my little motorhome. In my little family. And probably a more practical example is youth work. Tim and Julie. You guys know the youth workers here. It's just, I, I meet them every single week during the summers. You have a, a couple that do not get paid to come here. In fact, they take vacation time to come here. They're not like me. 
who gets several thousand dollars to come and preach at a week of camp like this. See, Tim and Julie take vacation out of their own time. You know, we all say for vacation to go to Florida or go to Hawaii or they take vacation to come here and be run ragged and mauled by teens all week. Because Jesus wants to move in their context and bring about a result. And so they live and say, whatever that takes, bring about what you want. And Jesus says, are you sure? Because what I want to bring about more than likely is going to cause this in your life. Will you stand in the middle of teenagers and be mauled all week long so that I can bring about a result in your life? Jesus, we love you this morning. We love you this afternoon. And we're going to love you this evening. And uh, I do. You know my heart and I can't fool you. I want to release you. I want to give you permission, whatever the right words are theologically. I know you've created me and you've stuck me in my place of the world. And really, Father, it's, it's your place because you want to release yourself in my little context of life, my little narrow lifestyle. You want to release yourself in my world. You want to bring about a result. And there's a reward for me. And the reward is I get to participate with you, participate in the kind of life that you lived I get to lose myself. I get to lay my dreams aside. I get to look and say, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I'm open. See, whatever you want to do in my life, financially, whatever you want to do in my life, in terms of my job, my family, my calling, my health, whatever you want to do in my professionally, whatever you want to do in my life, I give you permission because my, my reward is partnering with you and experiencing the life that you experience. When you release yourself in my context and bring about what you desire, I give you permission to do it even when it doesn't make me comfortable, even when it goes against what I would like to do, even when it smashes my dreams, even when it goes a direction that I don't want to go. Because my reward is not into physical, tangible kinds of things. My reward is an intimacy and oneness with you and sharing the kind of life that you live. I want to receive the kind of life that's in your heart, God. The kind of life that would empty himself of all but love and come down and live among us and throw away his life on a cross for my sake. I want to, I want to participate. You're calling me to participate in that kind of life. And you and you alone are my reward. And I do, I want that. I want you, Jesus. I give up mansions. I give up big houses. I give up golden motorhomes in the sky. I give up health. I give up wealth. I give up fame. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. I want to embrace you and know the kind of life that's pumping in your being. That's my reward. And I want to stand and watch what you do in the midst of my family, in the midst of my ministry, in the midst of the gas stations of my life, in the YMCAs of my life. Just from week to week, I want to, I want to, I want to witness the result of releasing you into my context as I live in the posture. And the reward is the fellowship with you. And it's my prayer. And Father, I ask these things in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Deep
Again, it's been good to be in the presence of Jesus. Better still to take his presence with us. Let him shine in us and through us in every way. We can't do it on our own, but his power can make us what we ought to be. Aren't you thankful? Would you stand, please? This day, Jesus, help us to be everything you want us to be, that we may lift you up and your light may shine brightly. In your name we pray, Jesus, and through your power and the Holy Spirit, we expect it accomplished. Amen.